Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, the club that we thought we wouldn't miss when they weren't playing, but it's probably got to the point where we could do them being back at some point soon. Um, if not, just if, apart from anything, just to give us something more to talk about. Um, I'm Laurie Dunsire, joined by um, Mark Donaldson, who's probably at more of a loose end than most. <laughs> Yeah, try to look after and keep a two-year-old entertained while not able to go out or meet other people. Um, yeah, you get on with it. You find a way. I've, I've been doing the gardening, listening <laughs> to old podcasts and various other things. You, you find a way. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. You can just be in the doldrums and whatever, and it's hard. I get that, especially for those. I mean, my parents and my family are over in Scotland, so it's, it's, it's hard for us. But there's a, a number of people who are in Scotland or elsewhere and can't see their own parents yeah. um, or grandparents because of, of everything that's going through. So you'll not hear me complaining, and hopefully over the next hour, as we take a look and a wander back down memory lane, we can provide you with a, a little bit of comfort as far as humour and memories are concerned from days of yore. Yes, so obviously it's uh, a, a difficult situation in the world for for everyone, and football does take a back seat. Um, but we still want to offer some sort of light relief that we spoke about last time, and we will be um, looking back uh, through the history books uh, again today. And um, we will be talking a little bit about the the current situation as well as we um, yeah continue to hopefully at least fill maybe an hour of uh, the time that a lot of you now have at home, hopefully self-isolating and following all the government guidance, unless you're in the States, of course. Hmm. We have our <laughs> own issues over here with our, uh, with our political leaders. Indeed, but that, that's for a different type of podcast, I think. <laughs> Indeed, not this one, not today. <laughs> Okay, first up, so we'll have a little look at the um, the current situation. We don't want to dwell on it too much, but um, interesting today at the time of recording, which is on, um, <laughs> yes, it's Thursday. Um, you have to double check these days, don't you? <laughs> All blends into one. Uh, but Anne Budge has put out a statement, and uh, I quickly run through it. I'm not going to read it out word for word, but I thought I'd quickly run through it, and then I can get your your feelings and thoughts on it, Mark. Um, so we'll go through it from the start. She does this is word for word initially um, and says there are obviously far more serious concerns in the world at this time and other matters uh, and I and those at the club would rather be focusing on. I feel, however, for the sake of our supporters, I need to address the enormous amount of ill-informed and self-opinionated commentary from some sections of the media at the moment in brackets, in particular from The Sun and their usual pundits. Please find below an accurate statement regarding how we at Hearts are dealing with the current crisis caused by the coronavirus global pandemic. Um, she starts by saying, in line with most other clubs, we aim to hold sufficient cash reserves to cover two to three months of normal trading operations. The reasons we are implementing cost control measures is because we could be facing up to six months of totally abnormal operations. Um, I'll start to paraphrase a little then. She then goes on to say that she won't apologise for being transparent with staff and supporters on the, the kind of magnitude of the, the situation and the issues. She confirms over the last six years we've always lived within our means and have no external debt and 
really quashes the kind of financial mismanagement rumours. Uh, she goes on to talk about cost-cutting, um, says we wouldn't have been able to survive or wouldn't be able to survive a six-month shutdown with no measures in place. Uh, and she then goes on to say a meeting with senior managers at the club concluded with some of the following points. And I'll go back to just reading what she said word for word, which says, one, uh, to implement any changes at the end of April to give staff the chance to consider their own personal situations while awaiting any government interventions, the benefits from which would be used to limit any wage reductions. Point two was they'd want to avoid redundancies and protect all jobs and contracts. Three, to treat all employees, regardless of status or roles, fairly and and equitably. Um, Four, to take steps to protect staff and players on the lowest earnings. Five, to ensure everyone knew that they should not panic and that they should discuss any personal financial challenges with their manager. HR or myself, as in Anne, that is, of course, um, we would do everything possible to help people meet their financial commitments. And number six, anyone who wanted to move on from the club for whatever reason, example, disgruntlement or desire to go back home to families, etc., should take a talk to us and we would try to help. Um, she then ends with a where we are now bit, and again, I'll go word for word. Uh, to summarise, I asked all employees to stand together to ensure we can survive the next few months. Their response has been amazing. Most of the staff agreed immediately. Given the added complexities around player contracts and the wide range of personal circumstances, a number of players are still reviewing their situations. However, I believe we will reach a good outcome as I know they want to do what they can to support the club. Much has been made of an email sent out by our head of player recruitment to agents with regard to potential recruitment requirements once football resumes. We must continue to plan for football returning and make sure we're in the strongest possible position when that happens. I would, however, like to make it clear that there's no pot of money sitting in the bank that could go towards player or employee wages. Um, and there is certainly no intention of paying transfer fees under the current circumstances. To summarise, we have uh, consulted with a wide range of senior employees and managers and we have communicated fully to all staff in an open and transparent manner. I did so quickly, not to create panic, but to give everyone time to plan and consider their own circumstances. Cost-cutting is going to come and I see no point in sugarcoating the news. Um, She ends with some info on revenue generation, mentioning season ticket sales and the fact that they will put them on sale when they can. The fact sponsors have been very supportive during this time. And a a big mention to the Foundation of Hearts. And incidentally, although she doesn't mention it within the statement, we've noticed now that they have passed £10 million in pledges, which is great to see despite the current situation in the world. Um, She signs off with, "Thank uh, thank you all and please use our website and our social media channels as your source for accurate information um so obviously a lot in there mark i didn't want to go into everything word for word because there's quite a lot of info and people can of course access it on the official hearts website but um my initial feelings were um spot on i thought she covered everything really well yes the actually one of the last things you said there is something i want to start with Mm -hmm. and it's to do with the foundation of hearts and the pledgers having raised over 10 million. I mean, I know that the, the headline is, is the statement and it will be in the, in the papers tomorrow or, or whatever, but we have to take time out and we have to recognize this as so important. 10 million pounds. Yeah. Foundation of Hearts pledgers have raised. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. So for all, for anyone who's put even a pound in, 
up to whatever your monthly um, deposit is. Thank you. Thank you so much, because I, I don't think we'd be in a position that, that we are in. I don't know if we'd be in any position without that. So I think for me, um, and I know you, you mentioned it, and quite rightly so, and it wasn't in the statement, um, but to Stuart Wallace and to everyone involved with the Foundation of Hearts, uh, marvellous, absolutely magnificent. And yeah. Thank you so much for that. Now, the statement. Uh, since Anne Budge came into Tyne Castle, uh, she has been criticised by some um, outside the club for various things. Well, one thing has been very difficult to criticise her for is keeping supporters up to date. And and yet again, this is a, a statement that wasn't required. <laughs> if there wasn't a statement, we wouldn't be losing any sleep and go, where's the statement? We've we've all been through, whether it's me in the media and before that as a fan or, or you or anybody else, where we've heard statements from the club. There's been statements about statements. Yeah. Um, previously. So we're getting a statement now at the, a decent time, the right time, I think. Uh, and it's, it's keeping fans up to date. Um, Robert Borthwick on, on Twitter, Robert does the, the Terrace, the excellent show on BBC Scotland. He, he basically said, yeah, she, well done. She said her bit, but come on, can we just stop this mudslinging, um, right now? And I, I see where he's coming from because it's, it's a kind of uh, get your fans on board, have a go at the newspapers. And and the Sun, in, in this instance, I read the Michael Stewart article this morning over the last 24 hours, and, and Tam McManus has said stuff as well and come out and had a bit of a pop at hearts when it was initially done. Look, it's there's two sides to, to, to every story. Um, there's the hearts side, and there's the side that, that everyone else who's not hearts um, wants to kind of have a go at. Anne has said what she said. She's kept fans up to date. Um, the one thing that, that is hearts are ahead of the curve, um, so to speak, with regards yeah. to this. Did they do the, the, the right thing? Well, Anne Budge's business acumen over the years, she's a, a, a top business woman in her field. So she knows how to deal with business. She might not be a, an expert in football, but she's admitted that as well. But she knows how to handle things like this. And, and she's kept us in the loop regarding that. Now, could it have been deferred? Some people are saying, well, could they have deferred it? Well, I think the initial statement regarding the 50% wage cut had to do with this. This is the wording, which is part of a standard SPFL contract that every single player signs. Quote, in the event of the Scottish FA deciding that the game shall be suspended either entirely or in any district or districts as provided for in the Articles of Association of the Scottish FA, this agreement shall be correspondingly suspended unless the club is exempted from such suspension or the club otherwise determines. Let's put that into kind of layman speak. Basically, if the league is suspended, we don't need to pay you. Yeah. And that is, I think it's Clause 12, Article 3, in a, a standard SPFL contract. So... It was done, I'm pretty sure, with, with that in mind. They don't want to get to that, basically saying we're going to invoke this clause and no one's getting paid. It was a kind of, well, we'll meet, we'll meet you halfway, literally, being a, a 50% cut. And people had a go saying, oh, I can't believe they're doing this and, and whatever. Now, I will not reveal any sources or anything like that, but I have been told that representatives from Aberdeen and from Hibernian have been in touch with Heart of Midlothian regarding the decision that was taken in a bid to just discuss things, see how Hearts did it, why they did it, 
um, how they've gone about doing it as well. I don't think Aberdeen and Hibernian representatives will be the only ones that will get in touch. I think everyone will be in touch with this um, regarding going forward and, and how they're going to do. I don't think we'll see football again until at least August. No. There's players still to be paid before then. So there's not enough money to go around. That's the bottom line. So Hearts were ahead of the curve on this. It's not ideal. And as Stephen Naismith said, look, he's been very fortunate in football and he finds himself in a predicament now whereby there are those that are less fortunate financially than him. So he feels he has to lead by example. Mm-hmm. So for him and for Daniel Stendhal, who apparently is not working without any wage whatsoever, and his wage is substantial at the football club, let's just try and all get along. Let's not have this coronavirus end up about yeah. scoring. I think that's the problem. I think, you know, Hearts were quick and what they did and they kept everyone in the loop. I think the only reason she's had to make this statement is the, all the reaction. I don't think she would have been making it. She's been, her hand has been forced because so many have, have, have felt the need to kind of wade in and say certain things and and to be honest, even, you know, I wouldn't openly, you know, for lots of reasons, I wouldn't kind of openly say too much on these type of things anyway because I'm involved to an extent, although I'm not a direct employee, of course. Um, but even with people who were asking me, I was like, I've kept fairly quiet because I didn't know the ins and outs. And I thought, everyone's going to have to cost cut. Everyone was very quick to judge. But what she's outlined is not just the fact that they've been cost cut, but it wasn't instant. There was a kind of deferred period from what she suggested in it. She didn't say everyone was going to be from that instance, but everyone had a chance to review their options. And some people might wish to, to move on or might wish to, you know, if they're if they're based in in Scotland temporarily, might wish to go back like Clevy Di Camona did, and he was very open. It was a it was quite a noble move in many ways to just have his contract torn up, not cost the club anything, go back to his family, and say he would he'd be delighted to come back when when things kind of get back to some semblance of normality. So I think we've done everything we can. It's a difficult time, and people who think that businesses like Art Midlothian or any other football clubs can just keep rolling on. Paying everyone exactly what they get, they're getting paid. They're, they're just they're just living in a different world, I think. And we've seen, you know, some of the biggest clubs in the world are doing it, um, or trying to anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was spot on. It was just interesting to touch upon it because we're at a time now where, like you say, we're not going to see football for a fair few months, even if other elements of, I guess, society and and the world start to edge back to being a bit more normal we're not going to rush into to something which will get thousands and tens of thousands of people congregating together in confined spaces it's just not going to happen for a while i think we'd have to we'd be silly to do that even if the numbers start to drop in the likes of the uk so it's Football's not a priority no of, of course it, it, shouldn't be, and I, it shouldn't be and I it shouldn't be no exactly i'll be very very surprised if football resumes with fans or if they do, it's going to be a long time in the future that they'll have to wait till everything is really. That's what I mean. It's not you're not going to have full stadiums for a long time because you'd want to be very sure that things have got to Correct. the point where it's safe, which is a long way off. So clubs have just got to batten down the hatches and do their best. And at least what Hearts are trying to do at this stage is keep everyone in a job. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen companies because let's let's be realistic here, we're just talking about companies, we're seeing companies with far more means and far more profits and money available to them who have just went straight in and just been cutting staff left, right and centre. And that's staff who they can claim back most of those wages for, whereas with Hearts, 
footballer wages. I mean, you, you know, everyone will know the government, what the government's put in place up to two and a half thousand pound a month. You can claim back at a later date, 80% of that. If you put staff on kind of leave or furlough, it's not going to cover footballers wages. Yeah, you could cover your, maybe your admin and your finance staff, etc. But footballers wages are just, the majority of those are going to be coming out of whatever clubs have. And Hearts might be in a better position than some because some clubs will be running with maybe nothing. No, no, nothing available to pay these players for the next month or two. Here's here's a view from inside the game. I'm not going to tell you who it's from, but okay, it, it, it's it's a, it's playing devil's advocate because we're all we're pro hearts, and I get that. And the Sun ran a story about um, I think it was like last night that they put out heart stars ready to snub 50% pay cut, but they will consider deferral. Look, I don't have any issue with stories that if stories get to a journalist, it's a journalist's right to to put that into the. The, the newspaper and a journalist's job is, is to find these stories. It's sometimes the way that they're portrayed that uh, that can be hard to take. But this this person inside football um, with this quote, and we're talking about um, Hearts doing what they did. So the fact Anne Budge and her advisors went straight for the jugular brackets in terms of wage cuts was never going to go down well with the players. Football is different in that any club can prevent you from leaving during the fixed term of a contract unless they receive a transfer fee. In return for that, clubs must honour the value of said contract. To then turn around and say you need to take a 50% cut in salary is bound to sting. Uh, My understanding is that the club is requesting players take a cut, and if they don't, then the club will invoke this clause and can terminate with immediate effect. It's not ideal, it's not nice, but something has to be done. So there's the kind of viewpoint from the other side as well, because it's already saying, I'm going to back hearts and, and, and whatever. No matter what they do, I'm always going to back hearts. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's tribal loyalty. It's like Donald Trump saying he can go into Fifth Avenue, shoot someone, and still have these backers that would defend him um, to the hill. We have that loyalty, but at other times we have to see both sides of the story. And with this... Uh, I'm fully behind Hearts and, and what they did, because if they didn't do it then, someone else would have been first to do it, and Hearts would then have had to do it as well. They might not have received the same backlash. So credit to them for, for being first and realising that the longer they did, and, and remember as well, it's from the 1st of April. Um, it's not, it wasn't an immediate thing. They had to yeah. kind of go through channels um, for players to agree or, or not to agree. You can't just cut, suddenly say, right, from tomorrow. There has to be a period in place. Um, the books would have been up to today. And, and I mean, I don't know if Hearts players get paid weekly, bi-weekly or, or monthly as well. This isn't something that can be done straight away. Just because Hearts were first, they got they got the most stick. That's life. But the way they've handled it, especially with this statement today, I think is commendable. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, Andrew on Twitter had asked if we could maybe talk about some of the... Um, current happening so hopefully we've managed to do that there quickly before we move on to um the yesteryear one what do you think will happen with the league and two what would your preference be in terms of how we move on because okay in the grand scheme of things it's probably not the most important thing but at some point they're going to have to figure out what we're going to do with this season and into next season so what do you think will happen and what would you like to happen i don't know what i think will happen 
because, as, as I said, the reason we didn't speak much about what's going on last week in the podcast was because it was still pretty fluid and things were pretty much changing on a day-to-day basis. The reason we're doing it this week, as I said to you in the WhatsApp message I sent you when we were trying to arrange a time to, to do it this week, um, it seems as like there's more leeway this week to, to, to yeah. try and be current and be up to date. If you remember two weeks ago when we were talking about the Livingston game, it hadn't even been postponed by the time we recorded the podcast. Obviously, things happened very quickly in the, the days after that. But now uh, things seem to be going a little bit slower. So that's why I think we're able to kind of talk about this this week. So I don't know what's what's going to happen. And I think it's it would be folly to second guess. Here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. And it's to do with the World Cup in 2022. Now, the calendar for 2022, and I know it seems like an eternity away. It's not really. That calendar is going to be changed a fair bit because we've got the Winter World Cup in November and December. I think we take as long as possible as required. And bearing in mind what I said five minutes ago or so about if and when football does resume, I doubt it will be with full stadia. Um, I think we take the rest of this year. We don't rush things back. Football is not an importance right now. It's a triviality. So I think we take the rest of this year to get everything that has gone so far finished. And then you'd have no one saying, oh, well, there's an asterisk beside their title or um, can't believe they've been relegated or they've chucked hearts down. They may have league reconstruction in sight. That's fine. But I think it's important that we finish this year and Mm -hmm. uh, this season. And I think we can do that this year. So then next year, we begin in January. This is just a short-term fix for the next two to three years to get through to the World Cup. And then we see what we can do. Um, and then you, I think you start the new season in, in January and you take it through until, say, October uh, or November or whatever. You've got the Euros in the middle, so you can have a kind of break um, like they do for MLS over here sometimes, and well, certainly during World Cup years. So you could have a, a January through end of May and then pick up with a kind of August through until November. And that would allow you to have the Euros, which will take place next year, um, with no issues of teams missing out on players because they're playing through. Um, That would then give you a 2021 calendar year schedule that includes the Euros. And then you can pretty much do something similar in 2022. Obviously, the Euros isn't in the summer, but the World Cup is towards the end of the year. So by doing this, then this gives you kind of three years, two, three years to work out what's going to happen going forward. How are you going to fit the Champions League into that? I don't know, but it's not an issue really for us right now in Scotland as far as our clubs are concerned. But you do have the Europa League. How's that going to work? Again, I don't know. I'm just talking about Scottish football. Um, So I would have January through until October next year that includes the Euros. I take the rest of this year to finish this season and we don't have to rush things back. But there's that's that is just from a, a kind of a football perspective. Logistically, I'm not sure if it would be possible because you've got players on contracts that expire in May or, or whatever. There is no solution that's going to keep everyone satisfied. Um league reconstruction, if we're if we're going back to, to, to normal, when would it start? It's so many imponderables and it we're in a position that we've never been in before. And I don't envy the decision makers and having to make the decisions going forward. What would you do out of interest? I hadn't really thought about the when things would happen because 
I guess it's just hard to tell, isn't it, whether things could happen in three months, four months, seven months. Um, I, I would quite like League Reconstruction purely because I've wanted that for years and it might be a good time to do it when our hand is forced, um, whether that's 14 or 16. I, I, I think it's perfectly feasible to, to up it to 16 or so. Um, so I, I haven't really thought about the details, but let us know if you're listening and you... And you have ideas, you know, if, at Around the Funnel on Twitter or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Um, what do you think should happen? What, how do we manage it going forward? If you do fancy leak construction, how would you structure it? Um, yeah, let us know. The one, the one thing I would say, Laurie, about the TV contract, uh, Sky will have a new five-year contract that begins um, when next season starts. And it's going to be slightly fewer games, but I believe that the contract stipulates there must be four old firm games per season, which which is fine, which is fine. So you, if you're going to go for a 16, you're going to need an 8-8 eight and eight because you're not fitting in four old firm games with a 16-team Premier League. 8-8 eight is doable. I've got no issues with another four teams from the championship coming up, even if you go to a 14-team. And you have a six and an eight, a top six split and a bottom eight. Again, you're still going to have Celtic and Rangers um, playing four times a season. Now, it's, it's if it says right now you're guaranteed four old firm games a season, you're pretty much saying that they're both going to finish in the top half of the season. What did they do when, when Rangers were, were demoted or, or reformed and, and began in, in League Three? How, how did they get around that? I don't know. But if the contract stipulates four old firm games per season or Rangers against Celtic games for the, the pedants among you, <laughs> uh, um, then I don't mind a 14 or a 16 if there is if there is reconstruction, but you would need a split after um, you've played each other twice to, to be able to do that, which which is fine for me. Something different. This is a big chance for to move away from status quo. Uh, Scottish football is... It's, I, love, I love Scottish football. For me, it's still exciting. It provides more headlines than it should for, for a league of its stature and a country of Scotland's size. But it is stale as far as every other team out with Celtic um, and Rangers to an extent. No, they're not going to win the league. And it's probably going to be the same with that. So give us something a little bit different. We've got What's the difference between the bottom four teams in the Premier League or the Premiership, and the top four teams in the Championship right now. I'd argue very little. So bring them up. Come on, let's have something a little bit different. Moving on, uh, time to take a break from the current <sighs> the current happenings in, in the world and in Scottish football and, um, and take a look back. I, I guess this week we're going to do something that's slightly different. Is it's not Maroon Memories that necessarily are... Overly positive, we, we usually have a look back at something that we look fondly at, but um, Super Sai on Twitter said, how about looking at where did it all go wrong in season 1998-99? Um, so, yeah, let's let's have a look at that, Sai. So, I'll set the scene a little bit, and um, Mark will be able to add a little bit more detail, um, as he's a bit older than me, so he'll, he'll remember it better, I think. Um, so Hearts had just ended a 36-year wait for a trophy with that historic victory against Rangers in the Scottish Cup. The Jambos had been involved in the title race and although they finished 
third and seven points behind eventual winners Celtic. They were genuine contenders for the majority of the campaign. This is the one prior, of course, 97-98. So there was a sense of optimism ahead of the new campaign. Um, Cup-winning manager Jim Jeffries was still at the helm. And each of the players that started the cup final were still at the club for the new season. Um, So in terms of personnel changes, there was very little activity in or out at Tynecastle in the summer of 1998. Uh, Stephen Presley was brought in on a free transfer from Dundee United. An experienced fullback, Rab McKinnon, arrived after leaving Dutch side FC Twente. Um, the most notable departure was that of record goalscorer John Robertson, who left Tynecastle to join Livingston. Uh, English left-back Neil Poynton also moved on to Pastures New. He returned south of the border and joined Walsall. Uh, but on the whole, the Jambos started the campaign with a very similar side to the one that had been so successful the previous year. This was shown by the lineup in the first competitive game of the new season, as Jeffries fielded a starting eleven containing no new signings, and in fact, ten of the eleven had played in the Scottish Cup final three months earlier, albeit Jim Hamilton had been a late substitute in that game. Uh, a notable absentee though was Colin Cameron, uh, though who was missing through injury. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, the opponents uh, for the opening SPL game were, fittingly. The same opponents that had faced the Jambos in their last competitive fixture, Rangers. Unlike Hearts, it had been a summer of change at Ibrox. Dutch coach Dick Advoca had replaced Walter Smith at the helm, and there had been an expensive rebuilding project taking place for the new regime. The likes of Ali McCoy, Sandy Gorham, Stuart McCall, Ian Durant, Richard Goff, and many other established names had left the club with big money signings such as Arthur Newman, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and Andrei Kanchelskis arriving in Glasgow. Um, only three players that started for Rangers in the Scottish Cup final in May made the 11 for this match, which was Tynecastle on the 2nd of August 1998. Despite the new look jurors, the scoreline from the last meeting would be repeated. Live on Sky Sports 3, a certain Frenchman picked up where he left off after less than six minutes. David Weir, who was linked with a move to Rangers, gets stuck in. Here's McCann. He's got Stefan Adam in the middle. And it might come through to Stefan Adam! Oh, what a start! Four hearts! And it's the Frenchman, Stefan Adam! Not bad for starters. Neil McCann with a cross. Newman lost his footing. Adam left with an easy finish from a few yards past future hearts keeper Ante Niemi. Less than 20 minutes in, it got even better. Naismith uh, will be feeling the pressure though from Rob McKinnon, who's uh, returned from Dutch football. He doesn't figure in the 16 on duty today. Oh, Jonas turn was caught out then by Stefan Adam, and here's Hamilton. Will it be two? Oh, yes, it will! Through now to Hearts, Jim Hamilton. We wondered whether Rangers were ready. It would appear they are not, but Hearts most definitely are. Jonas Tern caught in possession by Adam, and Hamilton finishes well on the angle. Rod Wallace got a goal back for Rangers before the half-hour mark, and although both sides had further chances, it finished 2-1 to the Jambos. Uh, so, look at that mark, and if you remember it, you will obviously been involved with fourth, I think, at the time. In terms of the feeling around Hearts, I mean... 
we've got a team that finished third and did challenge for the title, that won the cup, and obviously in such magnificent fashion, and were relatively unchanged and started the season beating the um, the high profile, the high spending Rangers. I mean, it must have been all positive around that time. I don't know the exact words of the newspaper headline in the evening news. So let me paraphrase. Mm -hmm. Over the summer, uh, probably more towards the recent times of the cup final rather than kind of ahead of the start of the season. So you're probably talking end of May, start of June. I remember a headline, front page, uh, Les Dean's, I think it was Les Dean's, not Chris Robinson. It was certainly one of the two. We'll spend 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 to match the old firm basically we got the cup final we won the cup final hearts first since 1956 now we're going to kick on and at that time at that time it's the obvious thing to say so i'm trying to think who the the evening news reporter would have been if it was david mccarthy or martin dempster or whoever it was before barry Mm -hmm. um that was the headline on the front page and yeah, the, the spending after that, they, they didn't spend that much. As you say, you set the scene nicely there. Stephen Presley came in, uh, turned out to be an excellent signing for Hearts. Rob McKinnon was a, a solid fullback. But we, we didn't really kind of get into the spending until we, we had the SRH money mm-hmm. um, over the next two or three years. So that was the first thing that, that I remember from the kind of close season of, of kind of, okay, because the obvious question is, okay, Les or Chris, how, how are you going to build on this? Well, we're going to... We're going to put more money into this now. We're going to see if we can we can get on an even footing um, with them. And and spirits were high after the Rangers game uh, going into the new season. The on the back of of the cup win with a decent squad. Seeing Robbo go was was sad, but we, we yeah. kind of knew it, it had to happen. Um, but there was optimism ahead of the new season. And then to begin with the win over Rangers, things were really looking up. Well, you look at the team. I mean, the team that started against Rangers, Rousset in goals, Locke right back, Naismith left, Weir and Ritchie in the middle, Flogel McCann in midfield in the wider areas, Salvatore and Fulton in the centre, and Adam and Hamilton up front. I mean, that's, a, for the t- at the time, a pretty good team. I, I guess one thing I noticed, and one thing, I, say, I was quite young at the time, although I was going to Hearts games, so I can't remember much of the context and detail around what the feeling was at the time, but you looked at the bench, and the bench that day, with all due respect to the players I'm about to read out, was Grant Murray, Roddy McKenzie, Jose Catongo, Derek Holmes, and Kenny Milne. Mm. Um, so I don't know, I, I feel like now, if I was looking at it from a, from that point of view, be, there might be some concern that, well, that's a good starting eleven, but Where's the where, where are the options there that will be able to step in and I guess play at the same sort of level and based on that I guess there wasn't many and um, I guess I mean we'll look at the team I mean it was a good start and this was followed up by a comfortable win over two legs against FC Lantana in the Cup Winners Cup uh, and away draw with Dundee United victory over Wraith Rovers in the League Cup and a two 0 win at Tynecastle against Aberdeen. Um, so going into a game away to Kilmarnock at the end of August, Hearts had progressed in two cups, earned seven points from nine in the league. So not too bad, fairly fairly yeah. decent start. It was a, it was it was a good start, but it was a start that was and points that were obtained without Colin Cameron. Yeah. Now Colin Cameron, um, apparently, it, it's hard to try and remember it without a little bit of help from those and and quotes at the time. 
But I know there was a there was an issue that was eventually resolved. It was a pelvic problem that was eventually resolved by a gum shield. Um, I think it was a French dentist or certainly a foreign dentist that Colin, after pretty much ex exhausting all other avenues of how to get to the bottom of this pelvic issue, maybe it's something similar with Peter Haring. Maybe we should send him to a dentist. Um, but Colin Cameron, um, I, I don't think he was 100 percent from from what I've been able to read and what I remember. Um, I think he was carefully managed towards the end of the previous season. And this wasn't something that just that came about. It was a long-standing issue, and it was it was felt um, that things needed to be done over the summer. Um, whether he tried to, to return to pre-season training, I can't remember. Um, but it, it became pretty clear that he wasn't going to be able to start the new season. And I think you said something. We didn't see him until kind of January or February. Um, of that season. So we started the season without Colin Cameron, which was a huge blow for Hearts. Um, that Lantana game, by the way, was my first uh, European commentary away from home. Now, these days, you can you can have this quality of sound using a laptop and a, a mobile phone. Back then, we had this ginormous case that we had to carry over, and it was, it was a dial-up. It was like the old AOL internet. Uh, it was a <laughs> dial-up phone line and a huge case, but it was the bandwidth was so minute and you had to set a volume that if you, you couldn't really shout, otherwise it would just go bink, click and disconnect. Now when Maple so, scored so the only How did you manage then? I didn't. Maple <laughs> scored and and the, the call cut off. And I had to I had to, re, I had to reconnect. I'd set it as low as possible, but no so Estonia was great. <laughs> Estonia was like seven years after they got their independence. They had, still had the krone for currency, really, really cheap. Um, there were a few Scots over there. There was a, a former SNP councillor by the name of Davy Coots, I think, who'd gone over there with Scotland because um, that was a team. I think we played them in 93 and in 95 or 96, or we'd meant to. But remember, we didn't turn up at yeah. the Cadriog Stadium. or we did, but Estonia didn't. 98 qualifying, um, I think, wasn't that, it? That's right. So uh, I'll send you a picture. There's a picture of myself and, and my colleague at Radio Force at the time, Paul Robertson. And we got the groundsman at the Cadriog Stadium to take a photo of us kicking off uh, with no opposition um, because it was pretty apparent. Very childish, but hey-ho. So we did that. But Estonia, uh, what goes on tour stays on tour. But Estonia was fun. Um yeah, so that was that was Lantana when Mako scored and we won five 0 in, in in the return. Yeah. and it was a, it was a good first month of the season. Uh, well, yeah, almost until Killy, which was right at the yeah. end at the yeah. end of August. And um, uh, well, I've I've got the clips from this one, so let's um, unfortunately listen back to to the goals from that game at Rugby Park. football that Bobby Williamson has been encouraging, putting the emphasis on patience and possession. Ali McCoy's going in there, and he's done it again! Would you believe he crept in behind what I thought was an extremely negligent defence? McCoy's giving support on the left-hand side. Here's McCoy again, and it's there! The man's hat-trick! What a glorious comeback to Scottish football. 
So some are signing for Kelly, Ali McCoist, ran riot in the sun, inflicting a painful 3-0 defeat uh, for the visitors from the capital. Um, I mean, looking at the side that day, there's only two changes from the team that beat Rangers earlier that month. That was Stephen Presley and Rab McKinnon. The new signings started and Stephen Naismith and Stefano Salvatore were not in. So not a whole lot of change with the team, but um, in the next 12 games after the hammering in Kelly, Hearts would win just one game in 90 minutes over that time. Uh, but among those games, it was a certain controversial two-legged affair in the Cup Winners' Cup against Real Mallorca, which um, you'll remember quite well, Mark. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, without, I, I'm wondering, after how long a spell of time that has elapsed, um, can 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 someone no longer sue for defamation? <laughs> I don't I don't know who the UEFA delegate was, but let's just say we were led to believe that he had been promised a lot of things, which if UEFA were made aware of, I don't think they would have looked down too kindly upon. The reason for this, there was a camber in the pitch. Um, it sloped and it met in the middle, um, the highest point. And it sloped towards um, both sides, but more pronounced on one side. A little bit like Motherwell used to have, or that was more than a slope. Anyway, the goalpost at one end, you could stand in the middle of the goal and touch it with your with your hands. You didn't, re- I mean, on your tiptoes, yeah, you didn't really need to jump. So it was clear there was an issue. So there was all sorts going on. I remember the night before when we went to training, um, it was pointed out uh, that this 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 wasn't good enough. Um, the goalmouth incident was was pointed out, and something had to be done. Um, the suggestion was, well, if it takes tractors or whatever, that has to be that has to be sorted out. So over the next 24 hours, up until game time, I don't know what the hell took place. But and this is where I may be wrong. I do have a recollection that there there may have been drink involved. Um, with whether it's the UEFA delegate or, or, or whatever. And, and Chris Robinson, I believe, wanted the game postponed uh, or, or like certainly by 24 hours or whatever um, because he, he wasn't happy. Now, Hearts had gone into the game um, a goal... Yeah, lost down. 1-0 at Tynecastle, didn't they? Marcelino, who was the former uh, Newcastle, he went on to play for Newcastle, um, was the goal scorer. And Carlos Roa, I believe, was the goalkeeper. Now, Carlos Roa was the Argentine goalkeeper that gave up football for a spell because he was, um, I don't know if he was religious or whatever he was, but he had beliefs. And his belief was that the world was going to end. So he thought, I'm not going to keep playing football if the world's going to end. Well, no one is, pal. Um, (laughs) But the world didn't end. Well, (laughs) it may soon, but it didn't end back then. Um, So... Carlos Roa didn't get his, his wish. Um, he was the goalkeeper that day. Marcelino scored the goal. The reason I remember the away tie, and it's a piece that was in the Sun newspaper on October the 3rd, 1998. Radio ban pundit is on a high. Soccer pundit Mark Donaldson clambered over a 12-foot wall to cover a European hearts match when he was barred from the stadium. Bullshit. <laughs> Baton-wielding Spanish cops. Bullshit turned Radio 4th rookie Mark away from Real Mallorca's Luis Sijar ground despite his official passes. Mark, comma, 21, comma, said, it was a miracle that we agreed and even managed to cover it. No, I didn't. (laughs) A fourth spokesman said, we paid a lot of money for our radio lines and passes. 
No, we didn't. And the Spanish completely ignored us. In the circumstances, Mark did very well. Utter shite. We got there like four hours before the game because we had one or two issues with the... Remember I was telling you about the Lantana game and that kit? It was yeah. the same piece of kit that we took to Mallorca. So we didn't want the same issues with Lantana that we had um, in Estonia. So we went the night before, we tried it, and it seemed to be okay, but we had one or two issues. So we went like four hours before the game. Uh, I don't know if it was a 9 p.m. local kickoff, which would have been uh, 8 in the UK. can't remember. Um, so we went early. We couldn't get round the front because the, the media gate wasn't, wasn't open. So we, we went around the side, got in through a gate, and that was it. I didn't see cops. I didn't see them with batons. I didn't see any dogs. But it was to do with um, a former boss of mine who phoned and said, you'll get a call from a friend of mine who's at a newspaper and just, just agree with everything he said. So I did. And I got paid 20 quid. <laughs> he got 100 quid or, or whatever. And, and I, it was a little puff piece in, in the newspaper. None of it really happened. So that's what I remember about Mallorca, as well as other things which were fun um, prior to the game with the Hearts. What, what a trip. Imagine when that tie came out of the hat. Hearts fans are like, hallelujah. There were many, many that were there, thousands, and made a hell of a noise in Mallorca. It ended 1-1, so Hearts were only one one goal away from, I guess, uh, an away goal victory. But they went out, um, and that was during a difficult spell. Um, there was a painful defeat to St Johnston in the League Cup semi-final at Easter Road. That was October 1998. 3-0 goals from Nick Dazovich, Alan Preston, <laughs> and Georgia Boyle. God biscuit scored against us um so it was a tough time for hearts um they lost some players and it's, it's interesting um I'll, I'll talk about one game quickly there was a, a bit of an a, a positive note on the 6th of december this was prior to stefan adam getting injured this was at home to celtic i remember i think i remember listening to this game actually on the radio um uh, here's a quick clip from from this and they scored 13 goals in those three wins. But here, go Hearts again. It's Hamilton, and down near post! It's number two for Stefan Adam! And Hearts are kick-starting their season! So that was Adam making it 2-0 to Hearts in a game that they eventually won 2-1. It kept him in the top half at the time. It was still a 10-team league at that point. But with, after, no hibs, with, no hibs, they, with no hibs, with no hibs, with no hibs indeed. But after that result, there would be a 13-game run without a win in all competitions. They lost Neil McCann to Rangers in December, and this is this is still pre-transfer window, of course, so players can mm. can move at different times. So Cameron was already lost through injury. They lost Neil McCann to Rangers uh, for two million pounds, which at that point was a lot of money. I don't know what, how you what would you say? It's at least three, four times that in the modern day. I would suggest um, very. Loose, loose inflation of football maths there. Yeah, but but it's pretty sad, by the way, on, on the Wikipedia entry about Neil McCann's move to Rangers that he became the club's first major Scottish Catholic signing since Mo Johnson. Yeah, it's sad that's even a story. Well, I, yeah, why why that's even added, I don't know. But yeah, we we almost lost McCann and, and Adam. So suddenly, I guess we've had a bad start, and you're already looking at Cameron not being there. Um, Stefan Adam not being there, Neil McCann not being there. So suddenly, I guess, um, that very strong-looking starting eleven is now relying on the players that we talked about before, mm. which is which is maybe why 
we went on that run. I mean, 13 game run without winning all competitions, and the lowest point of that um, was probably game 12 of that dismal run, which was at Dens Park on the 20th of March. 1999. I was actually at this game. Um, one of the things I remember about this game is getting told, um, getting a steward told me to stop taking photos of the game. What? Yeah, came over and told Why? me. I don't know. Said you can't do that. Put your camera away. I, I, I could never work. I could never quite work that one out. Just had one of the little. I was obviously I. What I was what 12 years old. I had one of the little. Um, Kodak things, probably, you know, disposable ones, took a few pictures, I didn't didn't go to many away games, um, didn't go to many games till that point, went to the odd one, so I'd never been at Dens Park before, took some pictures, told to put it away, stopped taking photos. That was the game, if you remember rightly, Mo Berti made yes. his debut. Yes, Eddie Annan scored twice to send Hearts to the bottom of the table with the now infamous Mo Berthe making his one and only appearance for Hearts. He started the game, but would be subbed in the second half for oh Lee Jenkinson, not even much better. Um, <laughs> so that was probably the low point, but I want to look at some of the players we actually brought in, because I guess the season was really saved by a few of the transfers. There were, you know, I mentioned Lee Jenkinson. They weren't all great signings in Mo Berthe, of course, but we also brought in Gary McSwigan, Darren Jackson, and I would say those two players played a huge part in what would eventually be, um, I guess, Hearts saving their campaign. And we also saw Scott Severn promoted to the first team. I remember him having quite a, a big impact initially. And... Um, Maybe less with the likes of Vincent Gerang, who was brought in earlier in the campaign, I guess, to help with the absence of Cameron. And a certain Juan Jose Caracondo Perez, or most commonly known as Juanjo, even though I know that's not how you're meant to say it. But that's how we know him now, so it's just like Scatchel, we're going to call him that. Yeah, just shush. <laughs> just, just, we'll just go along with it. And they all had, they all had impacts. So um, going into April, we were bottom of the table, Mark, which is, I guess, a familiar... <laughs> Well, that'll happen this April as well. It will, it definitely will. Familiar feeling. Um, on the 3rd of April, it looked like they might drag themselves off the foot of the table uh, after McSwigan gave them a 2-0 lead against Kamarnik at Tynecastle, but they threw that away and the score ended 2-2. But a few days later, on a Tuesday night in Tayside, the revival really began. This was Hart's game in hand over second bottom Dunfermline as they travelled to Tanadice to take on Dundee United. Um, despite going a goal down thanks to an early Billy Dodd strike, Hearts responded through a McSweegan double and one from Colin Cameron in his first, that was his first goal of the season, first since his penalty in the cup final and it was only his third start of the campaign since injury. Uh, so that's the 3rd of April. So um, I guess that shows how important he was. It, it possibly could have been a whole different campaign if he'd been around. Yeah, Ca- Cameron's absence um, was certainly felt by Hearts, but you mentioned McSwigan and Jackson, two good signings. And if yeah. you remember, Darren Jackson wore the number 10 jersey for Scotland at the World Cup in 1998. Now, he had a loan spell from Celtic at Coventry, and then he joined Hearts um, in 1999. Now, he was, he was what, 32 when he joined Hearts? He, st- he wasn't so much a goal scorer for us, but he was a right good player for us. McSwigan provided the goals, and, and they were really good signings. The one that got away, this is tongue firmly in cheek and being rather facetious, was Simone Baldo. Now, good old Simone was about to retire, but Hearts called him prior to the game against Berwick earlier in the season, pre-season, and said, look, will you, will you, 
well, you want to play for us? We'll see, maybe see if you see if you're going to win a contract. Simone scored that day, and who knows if he'd got a contract, we might not have been bottom of the table. We might not <laughs> have had to rely on Jackson McSwigan. I looked at that on London Hearts. I'm like Simone Baldo. I couldn't I couldn't have told you anything about Simone Baldo. Um, if anybody was at the Berwick game on the 23rd of July, 1998, uh, in a 2-1 defeat as well on a Thursday night. I might even have been there. I can't remember. But I certainly don't remember Simone Baldo. But you never, you never know. If he joined Hearts, then, then who knows? It might have been a totally different season. On the other hand, maybe not. But good, good signings. Um, McSwagan and Jackson. Yeah, and that win at Tannadice, it was it was really the turning point. From that point, Hearts would only lose one further game that season, and that was against Celtic. Um, the end of the campaign on a run of four wins and a draw from the final five league matches. I really enjoyed this run, actually. This is, I went to a few of these games. Uh, this included a 4-0 win against Motherwell at Fir Park, a 4-1 triumph over Dundee United at Tynecastle, and ended with a fantastic five-star performance at Pataudry on the final day. 23rd of May 1999, two days before my 13th birthday, Hearts faced Aberdeen in the last game of the season. Um, 1-1 at the break, uh, McSwigan with an early opener, cancelled out by uh, Buchan before a goal frenzy in the second half. McSwigan hat-trick, Cameron penalty, Flogo with a fifth, and one from Ian Jess for Aberdeen. 5-2 Hearts and all the goals coming before 65 minutes. Uh, a game I was at and I really actually, I remember enjoying it. I think Hearts were white and Aberdeen were black, strangely enough. Um, and it meant the Hearts finished in sixth place, only four points off the top half in the end. And it's funny, we always had a really good season uh, the following campaign, and a lot of the, a lot of that was set in motion at the end of the that season. And I remember that's, as I say, I went to a few of those games, and I really actually enjoyed the end of that campaign after what was a dismal season. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was to do with the likes of McSwegan, Juanjo, uh, Jackson, and the likes complementing that team at the start. And you kind of wonder... Um, we obviously talked about the fact that Hearts, there was optimism and Hearts kept the core of that cup winning team in place, but there was no real depth. And if you'd done all that business at the start of the season, if you had that cup winning team with the backup of McSwegan and, and Juanjo and Jackson, etc., maybe it would have been a different campaign. But it was it kind of Jim Jeffries all over that he managed to pull these players out the bag when things were going wrong because he was. He was kind of known for being a, the manager who could do that, who could do a deal, could yeah, find the someone. Dealer, wasn't yeah, um, and he and he needed he needed to, it, you know, whether it was down to him or whether it was down to the bosses. I can't remember if it was the fact that he was told, "That's it, you've got that's you, you can't do any more business." I really don't remember. I don't know if you do either. If if he was if his hand was forced not to be able to give himself more depth in the summer or. Or if it was I, don't, I, I can't remember. But but you know he was obviously he ended up in the situation where he had to make things happen, and he was known for that, wasn't he? To be able to find these players and not just find them, you know, other players, you know, Gary McSwigan and Darren Jackson were obviously well known in Scottish football. Yeah. But, but to be able to speak to them and, and persuade them to come in and do a job for him, he he was that kind of guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. But going back to the headline I mentioned about Les or, or Chris saying we'll spend to match the old for money. Whether it was there or not, I think they were, they were doing things to try and make it available for, for Jim to spend. And as I said to you, even a couple of years later with the, the SMG money and, and, and various other, was that two years? Yeah, because that was a Stuttgart game because Petrich, Petrich played in that. So that was, 
It was about this. It was the season after, yeah. I think. It ended yeah. up ninety nine two thousand because yeah. we we bought so, Petrich, Tomashek, right. uh, Fitzroy right. Simpson, Yemi. So here's one for you. Here's here's a story. I'm not sure if I've, I've told before. So um, Harps had some money to spend um, that summer. Um, now I want to get my I want to get my dates correct um, because I know for a fact this happened because he told me. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it before. Then I'll I'll say it now. If I have, I apologise for repeating it. But Jim Jeffries phoned Craig Burley um, to see if he'd be interested in signing for Hearts. It was the following season. It was the summer after '98-'99. Um, obviously, Jackson was getting a bit older. Um, Cameron had the persistent complaint with the pelvic problem with the gum shield that hopefully resolved. So he, he phoned or got in touch with Craig Burley and, and offered him a five-figure weekly wage. This is according to Craig. But Craig said um, to Jim that he'd already given Darby his word that he was going to move back down south because Craig had come north for two or three seasons to join Celtic from Chelsea. But Hearts then spent that money on Gordon Petrich. Um, so the money was there. Again, the timescale of the whole SRH uh, not SRH, sorry, the SMG, SRH yeah. was Scottish Radio Holdings, that owned Radio Ford. We could not afford to put all that money <laughs> into Hearts, trust me. Um, but the SMG money... It's like um, 8 billion quid or something it was meant to be. That it? rings a bell. That rings a bell, yeah. So uh, Petrich was on five figures a week, and Craig, if Craig had agreed, he would have been on as well. I think it was, it was like a basic, but all in, it could have been up to 15 grand a week that they were offering... Um, Craig, but he'd already decided to, to go to Derby. So that was the kind of summer that followed the season that, that we're talking about. Incidentally, I reached out to a couple of the protagonists yep. who were involved that season. And, and both Paul Ritchie and um, Stefan Adam um, said that the injury to Colin Cameron was, was the biggest blow, especially after everything that happened and trying to kick on from the cup final. So I said to Paul... Uh, Basically, what, what, what do you remember of the season? He said it was a strange one. It started reasonably well, a couple of big results, but the loss of Colin Cameron to injury was a major contribution to the poor season. The 98 season, winning became a habit. The opposite happened in 98-99. Losing yeah. became a habit. We lost 10 from 11 over the winter period. It was a tough time. We were fortunate to pull our shit together when Mickey recovered and got ourselves out of the shit. That was from Paul Ritchie. Stefan Adam said, difficult to explain why we struggled that season. We started well with a victory over Rangers and then very inconsistent after that. I remember that Neil McCann moved to Rangers in December. Colin didn't play much until the second half of the season. They were both very important for the team, but we should have been able to deal with this. It was a strange season. We struggled for most of it despite a good start. But we finished the last couple of months on fire, winning four or five games in a row. And out of interest, I asked him for any of his particular favourite goals that season, of which I think he got 10. He said the first one against Rangers, the first game after the cup final, beating them twice in the space of two months was special. And the second versus Celtic at Tynecastle, he went to the front post. Yep, um, to so the one we played, yeah. Cross. Yep, from Jim Hamilton. Great setup from Hammy. And that was the, the second of my two favourite goals that he scored uh, that he scored that season. So, yeah, both um, said very different because Paul's comment about winning being a habit but also losing or not winning 
being a habit as well just shows you, doesn't it? Um, whether it's that yeah. season or, or this or whatever. one, yeah. momentum's just so important. It certainly is, and I mean, and I just had a quick glance. We're not going to talk about the next season um, just now. We maybe talk about it on another podcast, but you know, we talked about not being much depth. But you looked at the next season. I just opened out of interest the Heart Squad list from on Wikipedia for ninety nine two thousand, and apart from being really having a, a huge amount of Scottish players, quickly scanning through it: Rousse, Presley, Naismith, Locke, James, Ritchie, McSweegan, Fulton, Adam, Cameron, Jackson, Murray, McKenzie, Flogel, Petrich, Makel, McKinnon, Simpson, Jenkinson. Juanjo, Tomashek, um, I'll skip a few, but you got Wales, Kirk, Niemi, Severin, uh, young Robbie Nielsen in there as well, who hadn't quite broken in, but such a, a lot of good players in that team the, the, the following season, and then maybe no surprise really that they ended up having a very good campaign the next season when we had a bit more investment and we were able to, I guess, bulk up the squad with more quality. So, um, yeah, it's interesting how these things sometimes work out. You know, you'd have expected after ninety-seven, ninety-eight to be hearts to be kicking on, but they ended up faltering, and and maybe then after most of that season, you would have expecting maybe they're on a downward spiral, but it picked up again. So maybe when things resume, possibly our our next full season, whatever it might be in whatever format it is, maybe we're coming out the other end of things. I don't know. He said, "Who knows?" Desperately optimistic. Optimistically, <laughs> optimistically. Uh, I want to end this this chat about this season with a funny story from Stefan, yep. um, who I, I, I've, I've told you before about him after he'd kind of given up football, coming back to Scotland because there was a girl at Radio 4 that he liked. Yes, I I've do. I remember. Yeah, I've, I've told that story. This, this isn't quite on a similar on a similar um, scene. However, I asked him any, any funny stories from that season. Um, he said in Estonia, I remember. There were plenty of hookers in the lounge bar of the Players Hotel. A lot of beautiful blondies trying to get some of us. Another trap from our Estonian host. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't elaborate on that. I'm. 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 I'd like to think that the uh, the so-called blondies were in vain and trudged back to wherever they came from without any uh, any interest from the. Uh, from those involved at the Players' Hotel. I'm sure that was the case. Aren't you, Laurie? <laughs> of course, of course. Exactly. Without a doubt. Um, was... 100%. Uh, other than what we've spoken about, looking ahead to what people think of how Scottish football could look, uh, anything else we want to put out there? Or just, again, ask people can keep letting us know if there's anything they want us to talk about, any suggestions? Yeah, games or... I mean, this season, you think... 1999, we didn't do anything there, but I just think it's nice to look back. You're the kind of whiz kid when it comes to inserting goals or whatever. <laughs> the longer we go without football, the more we seem to long from days gone by when when memories were plentiful and, and goals were scored. And, I mean, just, sometimes it was just, foo- just football of any just kind. Football. <laughs> just football. So if you've got a particular season or a particular month that you want us to kind of dissect in a bit more detail, um, we'd be happy to do so because, in all fairness, there's not much else to talk about. Yeah, tweet us at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk and we'll be back next week because, yeah, what else is there to do just now? Um, until then, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Bye.